Hear then the word of the Lord God from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy chapter 32, selected verses. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the, rain, on the fresh grass, and as the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And the Lord saw this and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. Then he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Vengeance is mine, and retribution. In due time their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people, and I will have compassion, and will have compassion on his servants, when he sees that their strength is gone, and there is none remaining, bond or free. And he will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge? who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their libation. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven and say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries, and I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain of the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemy. Rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and his people. Here now the fulfillment of these words. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 10. How then shall they call upon him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear him without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. However, they did not all heed the glad tidings, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely they have never heard, have they? Indeed they have. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? And at first Moses says, I will make you jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding I will anger you. And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who sought me not. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, 
All the day long I have stretched out my hand to a disobedient and obstinate people. Thus far the written word. Our Father, we pray that you will grant to us an understanding so that we will know and see the fulfillment of these prophecies and recognize that it is in Christ alone that we are to find our hope and joy. Amen. Please be seated. We return again today to the book of Romans, and we are looking at a series of chapters which are among the most controversial and really the most misrepresented in all of Scripture, Romans 9 through 11. A lot of people have trouble with these chapters because it speaks so forcefully and so clearly about the sovereignty of God, and most people are not prepared to hear these things. To most of the world, the idea that God is absolutely sovereign and rules heaven and earth by his might is in fact a repulsive thought. And so they do whatever they can to mitigate what it says. They make God much more a compassionate grandfather, one who is ever willing to help but will never actually interfere with your own decisions about your life. But the Apostle Paul has told us that what he wishes to preach this day is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That gospel which alone is able to save sinners. He says the problem the world has had is that the world has sought self-righteousness because the world has believed that it is able to produce good works sufficient to merit reward. And so the pagan who does not have the written law code of Moses has believed himself able to be righteous and upright by following the guidance of his own conscience. And Paul says they have never been able to achieve the righteousness which God commands. And then there is the Jew who has become proud because he has Moses' written code given directly by the hand of God. And so he believes that having a more specific set of codes, having a more clear understanding of God's will, that he will be able to fulfill the righteousness which God commands. And the Apostle Paul says no they too could not fulfill the righteous requirements of God because the law of God does not contain the power necessary to obey. The law can only show you the error of your ways. The law can only convict you of your sins. But it will never give you the power to obey and it will never allow you to have peace of your conscience. So Paul says... God has provided something else. He has provided that righteousness, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And our father Abraham obtained it by faith, and you too shall obtain that righteousness by faith alone. He goes on to explain the economy of God. He explains the federal headship of the first Adam who sinned and brought death on all his posterity, and now the federal headship of the second Adam, Jesus Christ. How as our representative, his work is our work. His righteousness is our righteousness, and therefore in him we have everlasting life. With such a wonderful gospel. He says, then can we now say then, we are free to do whatever we want because our works cannot save us, so really our works are of no consequence. We can go on sinning. And he says, absolutely not. You have been delivered not only from the penalty of sin, but also its horrible power over you. 
so that now all the days of your life you will struggle and it will be difficult, but more and more the Lord God will cause you to walk in the paths of righteousness and you will, however small in this life, nonetheless truly begin to be sanctified. And so for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. In fact, God is your Father. And you have this everlasting assurance and certainty that nothing shall separate you from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So now comes the questions which chapters 9 through 11 answer. Wasn't such a promise once given to Israel? that they would be God's people and God would be their everlasting God. And yet we see that, Paul, you are preaching a gospel that says Israel has been cast off, that they are no longer the people of God. So then, how can you tell me that I should have no doubts about the finished work of Christ on my behalf? How is it you can tell me I have everlasting salvation if God has changed his mind about Israel? to whom he promised everlasting life. And so Paul answers, you have not understood the promise given to Israel. Theirs was never a promise to life. Their promise was an earthly covenant, a covenant of works so that they would be preserved in the land if they obeyed. But you see, that promise which was for everlasting life came through Abraham. And not all of his descendants are the true Israel of God. Chapter 9, verse 6, he declares, not all Israel is Israel. So what he's saying is not all of physical Israel is the spiritual Israel of God to whom salvation, justification by grace alone is promised. And then he goes to show example after example. Abraham had more than one son, but the promise was only through the one, Isaac. And Isaac had two sons from the same physical act with his wife. Twins were born, and yet one was the one who was the son of the promise. And so you see, it is not physical descent from Abraham that was to guarantee righteousness, but it was always the individual election which brought grace. And so Paul says, do not look at Israel and misunderstand, and therefore doubt what I am preaching to you. What God promised to national Israel was an earthly covenant of works for the land. That if they continued to obey the system that was given in the theocracy of the king's laws, of the ceremonial law, and of moral codes, then they would be preserved within the bounds of the land of promise. But the individuals who were saved were never saved by that covenant. They were saved by what we now call the New Covenant, but it was actually preceded the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant of promise given to Abraham. That's why in Galatians we're told that we are children of Abraham if we believe as Abraham believed. And so now the Apostle Paul is explaining that, yes, it was always God's plan that not every Israelite would be saved, but only those who are the elect. And it was always God's plan that you, the Gentiles, would also receive this promise and be grafted into the root and stump, which is the patriarchs, which is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the faithful who have gone before. And so it was always willed that the branches would be cut off that were unfit to be there. 
and it was always willed that you would be grafted in by God's grace. How then are you going to receive this grace? Are you going to be circumcised and become a Jew? Are you going to live in the covenant land and offer sacrifices at the temple? Well, if it's not by works, then obviously that can't be the solution. So that's why we come now to Romans chapter 10. The instrument by which you will receive the blessing is the grace of God, which comes through the means of grace, the preached word. How then shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? And how then... How shall they believe in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful or timely are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. What is it that Paul then is saying is necessary in order for God's promise of individual election to come to fruition in the lives of any one person, including you? And he says it is by the preached word. The preached word of the ministers of God who have been appointed by the church and sent out to proclaim the gospel of grace. So notice how the Apostle Paul says that you are being received this very day into the church, not by virtue of being descended from Abraham, not by virtue of becoming a Jew first, but by the means of grace that has been appointed. Keep in mind, last week we saw that Jesus was the end or culmination, the fulfillment of the law. And this day you hear the declaration of that through the preached word. And so now we are seeing and understanding the mechanism chosen, the economy of God, was always the preached word. And the prophecy that is quoted there from Isaiah, how beautiful or how timely, the word could be translated either way, are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. How wonderful it is that God now extends to us this very day the means of grace. So, what happened then to Israel? Did they not hear the means of grace? Why is it that they are falling away? However, they did not all heed the glad tidings for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. But I say, surely, they have never heard, have they? Indeed, they have. Quoting Psalm 19, their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Quoting here the idea of general revelation and creation, but saying the preached word is now going out promiscuously to all the world. Gospel ministers are heralding and telling the world, Jew and Gentile alike, that Jesus Christ has come, that he is your righteousness and redemption, apart from your own works and attempts to keep the law. Did Israel not hear these things? Yes, they did. The voice has gone out to all the earth. But I say, surely Israel did not know, did they? But they did know. At the first, Moses says, I will make you, Israel, jealous by that which is not a nation. By a nation without understanding, I will anger you. 
And Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who sought me not. I became manifest to those who did not ask for me. But as for Israel, he says, all the day long I stretched out my hand to a disobedient and obstinate people. What then is being accomplished by Paul preaching the gospel? Here is where dispensationalists really get it wrong. They say that Jesus came in order to bring to fulfillment the plan of God and to have an earthly kingdom. And only after a few years of trying, when Israel rejected Jesus, that God went to plan B. And he said, all right, so for a while, apparently Israel's not ready. I will set them aside. And so Jesus, tell the apostles, go on and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So for a while, we'll have the Gentiles hear the gospel. And then eventually Israel will come around and then... I'll take the Gentiles out by the rapture, and then the Israelites will come in, and then you can finally get that earthly kingdom that I promised you that you didn't get the first time around. And you'll get to have it for a thousand years. But notice what Paul says. He says it was always God's will that Israel would reject this gospel that is proclaimed, that Israel was always meant to fall away in order that the Gentiles would come in. But the coming of the Gentiles would be used by God to bring jealousy upon his people, to make them angry, because God was now extending love and mercy to the Gentiles. What exactly, though, is going on with Israel? Let's look at Deuteronomy 32. Here, Moses as his closing words, gives a covenant lawsuit in the form of a poem. He says that you have become a member of the covenant with God. The law was given to you. You declared that you would obey. The blood of the animals has been sprinkled upon you, and you and your children have all said, as the Lord commands, we will do. But now I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Covenant lawyers, prophets are going to come. And on behalf of the covenant king, they're going to declare to you your sins. They will call upon heaven and earth to testify as witnesses. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as the droplets on the fresh grass and the showers on the herb. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. The covenant lawyer declares, heaven and earth, you are witnesses to what has gone on with Israel. Let my words of this lawsuit go forth and let the world see and know God, the rock of Israel, is just, is perfect and good in what he does and now demands. And then he starts beginning to list their sins. By verse 19, And the Lord saw this, all that they have done, and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. Then he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom there is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. 
so I will make them jealous with those who are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. God says, though I was to be your heavenly father, and you were to worship me, and I was to give to you all the blessings, you did not trust me. You decided to not believe that I really am who I am, and you decided to hedge your bets. You decided to spread out your risk. So you trusted in your own industry. You trusted in other gods. You made idols of yourselves and your labor. You made idols of metal and of wood. You prayed to these gods. You danced around them. You trusted in them. Since you will not have me as your god, I will not have you as a people. As I am jealous that you have not given me the honor that I was due, I will make you jealous by bringing a nation which denied me. I will bring the Gentiles who did not recognize the God of Israel as being the one true God, and I will make them my people, and I will pour out my blessings on them so that you will be filled with jealousy, envy, and rage that they receive everything and you receive only my wrath. Is this fair? Does this make any sense in the economy of God? Well, yes, it does. Because God is showing what is the inevitable result if we rely on a covenant of works arrangement. If we are depending on our righteousness in accordance with the law, this is the only possible result. Our death and condemnation because we have not fulfilled the requirements of the law perfectly. But notice what God also promises in verse 21. I am going to bring about jealousy in you because I am going to bring together those who were not a people. I am going to do something wondrous to those who were foolish. An Old Testament definition of foolish is the one who says in his heart there is no God. So the ones who did not recognize me, I am going to bless. And in this you are going to see it is not your goodness your righteousness or your merit that brought about any of the earthly blessing that you had. It was always my grace alone. He goes on to say, Vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time their foot will slip, for the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. For the Lord will vindicate his people and will have compassion on his servants when he sees that their strength is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. God will execute justice for the oppressed, and he will show true compassion upon those whom he has called to be his own, regardless of how hopeless their situation will appear on earth. And he will say... Where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge? Who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their libation? Let them, your false gods, rise up and help you. Let them be your hiding place. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, it is I who heal, and there is no one who can deliver you from my hand. Indeed, 
I lift up my hand to heaven, and I say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold of justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me, Jew or Gentile. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired leaders of the enemy. But... Rejoice, O nations. Rejoice, O peoples, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and people. So from the Old Covenant times, the lawsuit words are given and we are told, You, Israel, will be destroyed because of your idolatry and arrogance and rebellion. You will be destroyed because you did not fulfill the righteousness of the covenant of works, and this destruction will be just, and your lot will appear absolutely hopeless. In fact, in your place, I will raise up a new nation. Those who were once not a people will now become my people, the church. They will be called from every tribe and tongue and nation and people. And among you, only a remnant will be saved. But in that day, the world shall see and know that I am a just God, that I avenge, that I will execute justice for the oppressed and the widow, those who had no hope in this world, who trusted in me alone, to those who kept me as their rock and their shelter. And now I call upon all the world to hear and to know, to rejoice and to delight, to be glad and to worship. And in doing this, I will make the old covenant people jealous because they will understand that, that it is not by him who wills or who runs or who works, but because of him who has mercy that anyone receives life. So then we get back to Romans 10. Paul then says, Israel knew. The Israelites were not ignorant. It had always been told to them that the day is coming where their foolishness, their arrogance, and their pride would bring the judgment of God upon their head. But they didn't believe it. They didn't care to. They ignored the warnings. Did they receive the word? Yes, they did. Are they now receiving the gospel? Yes, they are then why is Israel not hearing and believing? As the Gentiles are now looking at Paul and asking, shouldn't the Israelites be the first to jump on the bandwagon of this new Messiah? Shouldn't it be those who were expecting the king to arrive who would be most prepared to see him and rejoice? And Paul says no. Paul says don't worry about their rejection of these things because the means by which life is given is by grace, which is extended through the Spirit, through the preached Word. That which is preached to you this day is the means of redemption. And the Jews have heard it as well as you, but it was prophesied. They would not believe. God had willed for them to neglect the means of grace, to despise the alien righteousness of Jesus Christ, and to rely upon their own righteousness. 
They are a stubborn and obstinate people to whom God stretches out, stretches out his hand, and yet they demonstrate the worthiness of their destruction through their unbelief. This serves also as a warning to us. If God would reject his earthly people, the Israelites, in this way, also for us then the warning goes out. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in a trusting of God as our only rock and our salvation. To those today who in the church will now hedge their bets, who will spread out their risk, who will trust in Christ alone, but will still do good works and use them as a means of getting something from God. These same words of warning go out. You have trusted in idols. You have decided to secure for yourself another rock and another shelter. See if they will rise up and defend you when I come to judge you. Let Israel then be an example to the church, as Paul tells us in Romans 10. Look to them and learn what happens to those who do not believe, who rely upon works and self-righteousness. But for you, understand again what Paul has been saying. Abraham believed, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Here we are told, it is by the preached word of those who are ordained and sent out that the good tidings come. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed in his word, that you will find life. And this life is surely secure, as you were told in Romans chapter 8. Because Israel in this is not the model. Because Israel relied on works. But those who believe are saved by grace. And the model for that is Abraham being preserved. The model for that is Christ's resurrection. Your confidence then is to be in God. And know this, your being here, though you may look at yourselves as ordinary, is in accordance with the prophecy and will of God. This very day, God's will is being fulfilled as you, the ones he elected and wrote in the book of life by name, are worshiping the King of Kings. You are being used to make Israel jealous for that which God has planned for them. So in all these things, we see and understand that we are, in fact, the proper and right recipients of grace. We understand the church is really the fulfillment and culmination of all that Israel symbolized. We are, even this very day, though ordinary in the sight of the world and even ourselves, nonetheless, the objects of God's love. The one who made heaven and earth has loved you by name and caused you to hear the gospel, to believe and to trust in Christ alone, and to have found God whom you did not seek, while Israel, who supposedly was looking for him, completely lost him. How wonderful is it that you have a God who loves you so much? How wonderful is it that you have the honor and privilege of being used by God 
to bring about his will. Paul would then make us to understand our right status and standing as we continue to learn and to grow in the gospel of grace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is certainly very humbling to hear and be reminded that we are not here because we felt a need and we came and sought you. We are not here because we are wiser than others who are ignorant of your existence. But we are here because you sent the preached word, because you called us out of darkness, because you made us to be alive even though we never sought you and never wanted you. And yet you give to us all the blessings, including an inheritance and a new name, and the privilege of being called sons of the living God. And you've given us all these things by the merits of Jesus, your only begotten Son, who was made man, who lived and who died in our place, and by whose righteousness we now come before you. Let us therefore, O Lord, not be a stubborn and ignorant people who have idols in our hearts, but those who confess and truly believe that we are the objects of your grace. May our lives therefore show forth true gratitude to you all our days as we continue to praise and worship the King of Kings. Amen. Let us then stand and sing Psalm 66, all lands to God in joyful sounds, affirming that the promise of God is that the nation shall be called and come to the mountain of the Lord. <laughs> 